Welcome to Bathroom Mirror Teachings. Today is sure to be an exciting episode. I look forward to your comments and anything else you may want to say. But I was moved to record this because I was upset. And I've been doing a lot of reading and, you know, learning. But how I learned to parent by watching God. That's what today we're going to be talking about. How I learned to parent by watching God. Now, some of you may like what I have to say. Some of you may not. But I urge you to listen, not just because you can hear me because you're not deaf and you have ears, but because you're seeking knowledge. And some of you may say, but that's not knowledge. But again, simply listen. Because if you ask questions, this is where we grow and this is where we learn. Well, no time like the present to jump right in. I learned a couple things. I've got a couple of examples about parenting because I am a mother. And so as I was reading the Bible, I had to give the side eye to God and find out what his motives were because I do not understand his way of thinking. But then again, God is a father, not a mother. But I digress. So, God's way. Tempt your children, then punish them when they fall for your temptation. Well, that's in the Garden of Eden. God said to Adam, don't eat from that tree or you will die. Now, my question is this. Why would you put a tree that bore beautiful, fragrant fruit in the middle of your garden and then say to the caretaker of your garden, don't eat that because it will kill you? Why would you do that? Why not just leave the tree out of the garden? What is the lesson here that Adam is supposed to be learning? I'll tell you why I came to that conclusion. My boy wasn't always 11 years old when he was born and he started to crawl. I didn't have those little, you know, those little door thingies that would prevent them from opening the door because that annoyed me. I said, why would I need that? And so I just kept the bottom cupboards empty. I put nothing down there that he could get his hands on. Why? Because I know as a mother that small children will put whatever they get their hands on. You could have just swept and mopped that floor and they're going to find that most minute crumb and it'll be in their mouths. How many of you have come wearing, take that out of your mouth, what's in your mouth? Yes. You take them to the beach, they got a mouth full of sand. So that is why I ask God, why would you put that tree in the middle of the garden and then say, don't eat it? Why? That doesn't make any sense. That's like bringing home THC gummies when you know your child loves gummy candies and just leaving them there and say, those are mummies, don't eat those. And you come back and the gummies are gone and the child is dead because he OD'd. You, as a mother, why would you tempt your child by leaving things out for them? Oh, well, somebody will say, well, how are they going to learn? How are they going to learn if they're dead? That's the question. <laughs> that is the more important question. There are many ways to teach a child not to take something that you don't want them to have. Either you leave it bare and empty like I did the cupboards, so when they got older, 
and you can explain, well, this is poisonous. And you show them what the skull and bones look like on the front of the package, which I don't have in my house anyway, but that's what you do. You explain and you say, this is not food. We don't eat non-food items. And you explain it and you empower the child even when they leave their own house to go to somebody else's house. They don't eat non-food items. This is how one prepares their child for success. By teaching them out of love, genuine love. So for me, when I read that God put that tree in the garden, some people say, well, that's just figuratively. I was like, no, that tree wasn't figurative. That tree was literal. It was literally a tree that had fruit on it that smelled real good. Mm. Now, if you're from the Caribbean and you walked by a plum tree, you would understand how incredible it smells. That's right. And you're going to put that tree right in the middle of the garden and say, don't eat it or you'll die. Well, what do you think? Now, what do you think is going to happen? Now, God being God knows everything because what they tell you again is, well, God knows what you're going to do before you do it. So if God knows what I'm going to do before I do it, why set me up for failure? That was my question, because I am not going to intentionally set my child up for failure so that he can learn a lesson. And now here's the kicker for me. Adam ate from that tree with a little bit of, well, actually not a little bit. Well, yeah, a little bit of provocation from you know who, but that's another podcast. We'll get to that. He ate from that tree. And because he ate from that tree, God said, oh, look, surprise, you ate from that tree. You're out. Get out. And God kicked him out. So not only did God tempt him, but God also punished him for falling for the temptation that he gave him in the first place. That is what made me mad. Because I'm like, but I wouldn't do that to my child. So then what is the purpose of tempting then punishing when they fall for your temptation? That means to me that you must enjoy punishment. You must enjoy dishing out punishment because think about it when your child is running even though you tell them to walk and they run and they fall and they scrape their knee mommy what happens to you, you their knee is cut open they're bleeding everywhere what do you do you cry because they are hurting and what do you do you console them and even when you put the peroxide on and you know it hurts you try to make it as less painful for them as possible that's what you do as a parent you console your children when they've injured themselves or done something to hurt themselves. You do not punish them because what would that teach them? It teaches them, wait a minute, I'm hurting. You're supposed to come for me, but you're punishing me. I don't trust you. That's what it creates. I don't trust you. The second way, God's way. Create division amongst your children using jealousy and favoritism. Well, that's Cain and Abel. I'm pretty sure it was Cain who killed Abel. Now, Cain was a man of the soil just like Adam because that was Adam's purpose. He was created to till the ground, name all the animals, a farmer in general, right? So that's what Cain did. Cain, he pruned all those plants. He made sure that his, his fruits and vegetables weren't eaten by anything. And he worked and he toiled and he sweat. And he brought 
the best of his harvest. And he said to God, here's all the hard work I did, God. And God said, please, that ain't no hard work. You didn't do nothing. Be gone with you. That's what God pretty much will said to Cain. Now, Abel, now he dealt with meat. Oh, yes, he did. And he brought God the fattened, was it calf or lamb? I don't know. But he brought it. And God said, oh, yes, this is what I love. And he said, well, Cain, look at your brother. Look at what he did. He's so much better than you. And Cain got all sad and dejected, which God already knew because God knows what you're going to do before you do it. And so Cain is all downcast and dejected. And, and God said, well, you should be more like your brother. So then all of a sudden we're going to get a surprise. Cain kills Abel. Well, that's what happens when you create animosity, when you have more than one child. Any psychiatrist, psychologist will tell you that. If you have a favorite, keep it to yourself. Because why? You do not want to create animosity between them. When they, when they go to school, there's already that competition between classmates to be the top of the class. They've already got to deal with it there. They've got to deal with it in the rest of the world. Why do they need to deal with it when they come home? Why? So why would you do it? As God, why would you do it? To what end? Well, clearly, you must like dishing out punishment. Because what did he do to Cain? He said, Cain, the blood of your brother cries out to me. Get out. And if anybody kills you, they will suffer my wrath. Really? So that's how you're going to do this? And so then I questioned God again and I said, why would you do that? To what end? What do you have to prove by punishing him when you knew he would do that? I digress. So now, God's way, you control your children by withholding knowledge. You see that little tree in the middle of the garden again? What was it called? The tree of life, of knowledge, of good and evil. So you don't want your children to know the difference between good and evil? Well, that's not what I heard. I heard that when you train up a child in the way it should go, it will not depart from it. I heard that. I heard that. What does that mean? Well, it means somebody's going to have to teach them good from evil. Wouldn't you want that to come from you, God? And that's the thing. Perhaps if we had taught them the difference between good and evil, we would not have to have the Ten Commandments. But I digress again. Then I say to my boy, when you go out, you play nice with your friends, you share your toys if you want to. But remember, if you don't share, somebody may not share with you, so you got to be prepared for that. You teach them, don't squish bugs. You know what I'm saying? You teach them, good, don't steal, because what isn't yours isn't yours. Don't lie, just tell the truth. Don't fear the punishment, because they may not be one, but just don't lie. You want to teach your children good from evil. You must. But God withheld that. Why? Because if you withhold knowledge from someone, what is knowledge? Knowledge is awareness. It's learning. It's understanding. What is ignorance? Ignorance means you don't know. And if you don't know, 
anybody can come along and take advantage of you and tell you what to do and you will trust that person and think that they have your best interest at heart and you will do as they say. As Homer Simpson said, but the cookie told me to. It's what Nazi Germany did. They said, well, I was just following orders. I was just doing what I was told. This is why it is imperative for one to know good from evil for themselves. But I digress. And then, God's way. You terrorize your children. And tell them, oh, I'm going to send you to hell if you don't listen to me. I can't even try that with my son. No, it won't even work because he'll, he will look over the top of his glasses at me and say, Mother, really? So that's what I did. What do you mean I'm going to send you to hell if you don't do what I tell you? Well, that does not instill love in me. And then the Bible is also quick to say, perfect love casts out all fear. How can it? It is contradictory. When most Christians are Christians because they are afraid of eternal damnation and burning in hellfire. You understand, I was also Christian. I was raised that way. You don't know the hymnal better than me. You don't know your Bible better than me. Well, maybe you would now because I haven't touched it in a while, but you know how it is. But that's what I'm saying to you. Fear is not a good motivator. Fear, think about it, even if you have a dog, you understand me? And you mistreat that dog. It will walk with its tail between its legs. Why? Because it's afraid of you. And if it's afraid of you, it does not trust you. And if it doesn't trust you, it will what? Run away. Now, if that is a dog who has a soul, right? It's a dog. Imagine if it's a small child. Now, imagine if it's a grown adult. Fear does not motivate. Not in the way we want it to, at least. So then that was the question I asked God. Why do you have to scare me? Why do you have to scare me? You think scaring me will make me love you? <laughs> but then the question becomes, because God says, I already know what you're going to do before you do it. So he knows that fear is not meant to encourage you to love him. Fear is meant for him to control you. That's what fear does. Fear in the hands of the one who has power controls the one who does not have power. I don't want power over you. I don't want power over anybody else. I want power over myself. What does that power over myself look like? The ability to choose right from wrong. Do I always? No, because, well, you know, I'm human and we all do things that sometimes we regret. But what I'm saying to you here today is I've always been told, you know, this is God's way. This is God's will. But wait a minute. It's God's will to punish me? <laughs> because that's what I asked my boy actually that's what he answers grandpa grandpa what does it mean God's will you just do what God tells you but what if God is wrong that was the question the small child asked what if God is wrong well God is never wrong come again God is never wrong hmm that's the question right there that people will 
clutch their pearls collectively. <gasps> this is blasphemous, Angela. I never knew you could turn out this way. I didn't turn out anyway. I'm simply asking a question from a mother's perspective. If you are a parent, do you terrorize your child? Let me put it to you this way. If you were raising your child the way God raised Adam and Eve, somebody would call child services for you because what would they call that? Abuse. You terrorize your child. You punish your child. They fear you. That is not love. And the only people say in the scripture, if God can give you, I think that's how it goes. I'm trying to remember how to paraphrase it here. More like if you ask God for bread, would he give you a stone? Well, you have children. You're not going to give your child a stone. Exactly. If my son says, mom, I'm hungry. Oh, here, look. Here's some rocks. Let's eat, let's eat those. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give him something to fulfill his hunger, to satisfy him. That's what I would do because that's what love does. It comforts, it heals, and it teaches. But love does not teach and cannot and will not teach through pain. It cannot work that way. Pain and trauma creates shrinkage and death. But love makes you bloom and blossom and become oh so fragrant that everybody wants to be around you. That's what love does to us. And I'm not talking love like, oh my God, you're so cute. That, I'm not talking about that kind of love. I'm talking about you look out into the world and you see your neighbor and you know that they breathe just like you do. And you are there that if you walk down the street and a man says, I'm hungry, your response should be, let me buy you a meal. This is love. This is love. This is what we should be living as opposed to tempting and then punishing. Because that implies an insidious nature to me, sinister that's what it does. It says to me that you take pleasure in the tempting and the punishment of said temptation. That's what it says to me. You create sex. You create sex. And then they hit, from the time they start turning seven, Mother Nature says, oh, that's a body part you didn't know was there. This is how it feels when this particular hormone hits it. And then they turn 14. And they will hump anything that moves. But yet you say, thou shalt not fornicate. How is it that you will say you're going to burn in hell if you fornicate? Then you're the one who created the desire for sex. This is where knowledge comes in. You teach that this is a natural function of the body. This is how it is used and this is when you can use it. There's nothing wrong with feeling this way. All mammals feel this way. And if you teach and educate, children will never have to hide. And they will never lie to you if you teach them because you instill trust in them. That's what you do but I've gone on long enough. Anyhow, 
I look forward to hearing your comments and, and, and having an open dialogue with you as usual. And uh, be sure to stay tuned because Adam and Eve are coming next. Much love.